Hello, and welcome to Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast, featuring thought-provoking conversations with prospect development and fundraising experts. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everybody, today to the APRA podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about internal relationship building, so the importance of building relationships within our current work environments to help us get some of our tasks and things done. I'll be your host today. My name is Patrick Murphy. I am the owner of Project Murphy LLC in Washington, D.C. It's a leadership development practice, and I love coaching and working with clients around these very topics. Today, we are joined on the podcast by three very lovely people. Elise Speck and Molly Hamrick are from Duke University in the Business Intelligence Unit of Alumni Engagement and Development. When fully staffed, their research team of nine supports the fundraising efforts of Duke University-wide. Elise has been working in the field of development since 2004 and a prospect researcher for the past nine years at Duke, currently in the position of Assistant Director of Research. Molly is also an Assistant Director of Research at Duke, having sharpened her research skills in a variety of prospect research roles over the last 13 years. She has recently taken on the new challenge of managing. Together with Elise, she has spent the last few years at Duke building a screening program that has given them plenty of practice in relationship building and influencing others using soft power. And we are also joined by Carrie Stacosa from Wisconsin Foundation and Alumni Association, where she's the Senior Managing Director of the Research and Prospect Management Team, a group of 15 staff and two interns focused on prospect identification, research and portfolio management in support of fundraising at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Carrie's been at WFAA since 2010 and began managing the group when it was only five strong in 2013. So welcome to the three of you today. And let's kick this off. And Carrie, we're going to start with you because I have a feeling you have some experience here around this. (laughs) So if we were to start a generic high level and start coming on down, we would say the question, relationship building is important for career success because, and your experience with that is, what would you say? I would say that relationship building is important for career success in one way, if I take it extremely literally and think about it from the sense of how did I get into the role that I have today? How did I get into the organization that I'm at today? And I am able to look back to experiences that I had at previous organizations where people gave me opportunities to learn and grow, but you build relationships with your team members. And when they're strong relationships, Even as you all part ways and go into different organizations, I believe that when the relationship building is really strong, that we end up sort of together again, or that we can lift one another up, help one another make connections and build our networks in that way. And I can see that at WFAA in that not only did I arrive there because I was invited to apply by two people who I had worked with in two different organizations prior when the opportunity came around. But now there are, I believe it's five colleagues of mine from one small arts nonprofit. There were only 12 of us in the office, I think, at any given time. And five of us now work in different roles at WFAA. And I think certainly that has to do with location, the size and complexity of the organization certainly the culture of the place that we're at, but I think it also speaks a lot to 
the importance of building and maintaining your relationships across your career in order to be able to encourage those types of opportunities along the way. Beautiful. Beautiful. Lisa Molly, uh, relationship building has been important to your career success. What might you say to that? I think maybe we could sort of echo what Carrie's already said in that, you know, you don't want to burn any bridges, right? You want to maintain relationships and build upon them. We spend about a third of our lives at work. And so along those lines, you want to enjoy that time, right? So you want to make sure that your good colleagues make for a more enjoyable work experience and greater enjoyment, of course, also leads to greater work performance. So in that way, it's also important for the current role that you have. Molly, any thoughts? Yeah, I agree with Elise and Carrie, and I hadn't really thought about it until just now, Carrie, but I also am in my position at Duke specifically because of the relationships I had built. And like the way I came to be at Duke was kind of not a traditional way. And I'm so glad that it happened. But I thought about this kind of like fill in the blank. (laughs) I have like, (laughs) I should print motivational posters, I think, because mine is (laughs) relationship building is important for career success because together we can go further. I think a lot of us have been working remotely for the last year and some people are used to that. We are not used to that. Duke, that's not been the way that we have worked historically. And being here by myself, working at my house where no one else is around me, it has even made it even more of a highlight that like, I don't do anything by myself, even though I'm doing all my work by myself. And it has made me even more aware of how important my relationships are with my teammate and teammates and how important communication is. It's so much harder to communicate over like texting. Like you can't read people's tone if you don't know them. There's just, you know, but like when you know someone, you know what they're saying. So, Yeah, Molly, I I really, I love all the points and uh, picking up on your point. I too live alone, work alone. And it is, it has made me realize just how important people are even just for the energy of moving things forward. I, you know, there's only so much that I think a, a person can do drumming up energy on their own. Eventually that does tap out. You know, I tell, my, I tell clients all the time, we did not come into this world on our own. And to think that we can start navigating other components of it alone, it's a myth that humans have. I think sometimes culture plays into it. We need people to get places. So I echo all of the comments here. Yeah, yeah no, no man or woman is an island, right? We need people to get it done. Absolutely. Excellent. So moving on to, we want to talk about the topic of generating buy-in. So here's where we can kind of open this conversation up. Uh, You all have tasks and projects and things that need to get done where you need buy-in and you need to bring along the people you're working with in whatever environment that might be. First, you know, we'll we'll keep this a bit generic at the beginning and drill down like, what is important about buy-in with your team members in the work that you all do? What have you seen to be effective? Maybe what have you seen maybe less effective? Maybe some best tips and techniques for some of this. So by all means, it's a bit of a wide open question. Take it where you want. We'll pull it in the direction it needs to go. But I'd love to hear some of your thoughts around generating the buy-in with your team members and uh, the folks you work with. Molly. I, I've been thinking on this a lot and I feel like this is kind of unfair advice, but (laughs) I think that it's important to start at the very beginning when someone is new on your team. If you are in that position of having new people, 
you know, life down the road is so much easier if from the beginning you have been communicating with people and building trust and making your coworkers feel safe and heard. You know, <laughs> everyone works harder for someone they like. I don't, <laughs> that feels kind of mean to say, but I think it's the truth. And a way that, like, I, I think that a way that I have casually built trust over the years with my coworkers has been around meetings. I, when I first started, didn't really talk in meetings. And after a while, I started talking and one of my coworkers actually joked that she was worried I was never going to speak. And so she was glad that I had started talking, but like I took that to heart. And then when we have had new people come on the team, I noticed that they were never talking in meetings. So I started having like one-on-one conversations casually with them before or after meetings and you know, they would ask questions and I'm like, you really should ask that in the meeting. And they're like, okay. And then, you know, you go to the next meeting and no one would say anything. And so I would say it, I would ask the question, you know, like I'm always, I still am kind of the person on the team that will speak when there's like quiet and no one is saying anything. I'm like, okay, (laughs) like I'll be the one that's fine. But I think having someone who like will go to bat for you, I guess, when you're not comfortable enough is really helpful. You know, Molly, when you said that, the piece of it that really sparked for me was the idea that if you do build that connection and you are meeting and people know that you respect them, that also opens the door for conflict because they know that you care about them. You know that that they can be comfortable. They know that they can be comfortable with you and vice versa. And so recognizing that we all at some point in our careers are also going to get into conflict because if we don't, we're not going to get anywhere good ideas don't happen just freely all the time. We're going to rub each other the wrong way, I think, at times. And and one of the pieces, as you were talking about it, that I was thinking about for buy-in was just the importance of needing that connection with people so you can build the trust so that you can have comfortable conflict. And so when you said, start from the very beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, we need to also remember to be honest with our feedback from the very beginning too. And to just set that self, set that up as a normal thing that I'm going to tell you when something feels off, then I hope you'll do the same thing with me and often do it by asking for the feedback yourself first so that somebody feels that that's a comfortable conversation. Elise, did you have a thought? Yeah. Um, I was thinking also about Molly, what you said about everyone works harder for someone they like. And and also if you feel liked in return by that person, I think that that makes a big difference too, right? But I'm also thinking along the lines of motivating individuals when you're not their their boss, right? That's kind of a, a can be harder. Um, and that's what Molly, in, in your intro, we're talking about soft power, which is a term that has to do with being able to to motivate folks when they don't report to you. And that's a challenge, leadership without authority. So that's something that Molly and I have to deal with in our jobs, in our roles. And really what you're getting at, starting with trust, building empathy. It's really important to understand where your colleagues are coming from, what they're bringing to the table. If they have sort of expressed dissatisfaction with the project that you're working on, try to get at the root of that and see how you can work through it with them. Be helpful. As we were saying, we are a team. We're not individual silos. We work together. Like Molly said, even though she's working at home by herself, we are all working together. 
So it's really important to, to try to understand where someone's coming from, what they're bringing to the table, what they're feeling. And because feelings really do play a huge factor into, into a job and into decision-making actually. And yeah, it's really important that get people on board to want to want to do the project. I, I was thinking about this earlier. I have a dog who I adopted from a rescue and I was thinking that in a completely non-offensive way, it's very much the same as like comparing coworkers to like animals. When you rescue an animal and bring them home, like you're so excited that they're there and you want to like smother them with your attention and love. And like, you can't always do that. Like you have to give people time to settle into their role. You have to like guide them and train them and like establish the rules and let them have the time that they need to get comfortable. Like you can't leave them completely alone though. It's all about balance. You know, you have to be there, but not be there all the time. You have to be helpful, but not so helpful that you inadvertently make them feel like you think they have no idea what they're doing and you make them feel bad about themselves. So, you know, you have to, it's like adopting a pet. (laughs) That's the trust piece of it, right? Yeah. It's hard though. It's hard to know. It's hard to find the balance. It's hard to know what works and it's not the same for everyone. So exactly. I think about it sometimes too in, I was about to take the pet analogy a little further and I'm going to just opt against it and just say that, that I, I think sometimes in those opportunities to partner, there's sort of an importance at finding Maybe somebody who is a pay grade higher or is, you know, in a different team altogether who you can partner with so that it's not just your idea that you're trying to advance, but it's a we idea. And having another person or people who can help you advance an idea across a larger group. So, you know, picking a group, a a cross functional team and saying, if we need this to work, where are all of the areas that this project touches? How can I build relationships, have coffee, share my thoughts and ideas, build trust with all of these people, and then one day bring them together into this group, but then also find anybody who you're talking to who feels like a naysayer and bring them into the strongest project that I can think of to date that needed the most collective leadership without somebody saying we are going to do this was one where we had a work group where every time you had a conversation and said oh we're thinking about doing this this initiative anybody who said I'm not sure that that's going to work for me I in my heart or my partners in their in their minds would all know no I think I think we've thought about it but we need to help you get there and so we invited them to join the work group to work through it so that they could see that their ideas were being heard, that their, that their concerns were valid, that we were taking all of that into consideration and it was something to do. And, and it's definitely some advice that the minute you feel like you're getting out ahead of your organization in terms of the concept or the thought, it's that moment to pause and go, all right, who do I need to bring along? Who do I need to talk to about this? Who do I need to learn about or learn from in order to make sure that this idea resonates with everybody that's necessary. There's some great conversation here. Some of the things I'm pulling away from all three of you, I hear, number one, I think going back to the beginning, uh, vulnerability. There's a phrase I like with my clients, which is 
I can't expect people to be more vulnerable than I'm willing to be with them. If I'm waiting for team members to be vulnerable, I have to be the first. And I think it's important not to be too vulnerable. We each need to make choices around what we're willing to share and not. And I think it helps invite others to be that way with us. So there's that trust factor. I think the second thing I hear, maybe at least this was from you, was validating experiences. So I think frequently people feel feelings and I think maybe an incorrect way to do it or a a less effective way would be to tell people they don't feel this way or just push through it, et cetera. We can push through hard times while validating that this is a difficult task. They can go together. And Carrie, your wonderful point, and I think this goes back to the, we don't come into this world alone, which is um, how can we keep being with the people, take them out, meet them one-on-one? How do we take that larger group and pay attention to each component of it? and adjust accordingly for the larger group of it. I think those are wonderful points. Anything anyone would add before Molly? Yeah, I, I'm thinking, I'm sitting here nodding the whole time when Carrie was talking about, you know, like bringing people in. And I was thinking about, you know, Elise and I are partners in this program. And one of the beautiful things about it is that we are very different. We're very different in the way that we work um, and in the way that we communicate in the way that we feel about things at work. And it has been really helpful to be leading a program with someone who like, you know, we have the same goals and we both care equally about this program, but because we're different, we have been able to like use our strengths to bring people along with us. Like some people relate more to Elise, some people relate more to me. And it's, so much easier when you can kind of share the burden. I kind of hate to say burden, but share the burden of, you know, pulling in people with different personality types. It's, you know, we're not all the same and we don't all communicate the same way. So it's nice to have a partner, Elise. It's nice to have you as a partner. (laughs) Well, I fully, fully agree with that though. I mean, it sounds maybe like a little cheesy, but I love it because it is true. You know, uh, people are going to resonate more with one person than another, just how it is in life sometimes. And I just know that, you know, we don't really like to think about emotions with work. We like to think about them as being separate, but you really can't fully separate them from the job. Emotions drive performance. If you do not like the work you're doing, if you do not like the people you work with, you're not going to bring your A game, you know? And, And so it's important going back to what we've talked about, like validating feelings and, and all of that. It's just really important that people feel heard and that people want to get on board. And so the way to get them on board is to be empathetic, is to listen, watch your body language, try to bring positive emotions, even when the project feels rough, even when it's difficult, even when you yourself are like, oh boy, this is going to be a tough one trying to bring the positive emotions and, and, you know, positive emotions is not just like, this is the best project ever. You don't have, you don't have to fake the feelings, but just that we're all in this together. And that's a positive emotion. I think that that's kind of important to bring to work and to get people on board. Yeah. There's something, um, Molly, I really like what you had talked around there in terms of strengths as well. I think one of the keys in relationship building as human beings, we're wired for a negative bias. It's a survival mechanism. We are programmed to see what's not working. That applies to both the tasks. It applies to the people. So what I love about what you said, Molly, and, and if, you, <laughs> if anyone wanted to build on this, I, I think it would be very helpful is I think we have to make conscious choices to 
look at the people we're working with and see, hey, I get what they don't do well or where our values don't align. But what I think is important is what do they bring? What do they do well? And with the task that I have at hand, how can I incorporate those strengths while trying to overlook what I might disagree with or what they might not do so well, according to me? So Molly, I love the idea of strengths. I think it's so important for teams with effectiveness. You know, at WFAA, one of the things that we did, we've been doing for years now, is when a new hire gets started, we actually buy them the Strength Finders book, give them the quiz, let them do it. It gives typically, that's as opposed to all the other potential personality quizzes and things, which I think sometimes come with their own pitfalls. It's a little difficult to have a pitfall when you are taking a strengths-based approach. I know there's a lot of people in the field who are interested in it, but what we found is it's just such a nice continuation for an opportunity to encourage that type of relationship building amongst our team that it that we've gone to the the point of like making <laughs> uh, desk photos that we you know would have so that you could see what people's top five strengths were. We've encouraged strength building lunches. Just pick somebody who you have a similar strength with and talk about the things, ways that you can enhance that strength. Not how do you acquire this strength of this other person, but what are the pitfalls of having that strength? Um, if you're an achiever or if you're all about belief and woo, you know, like how do we turn that into to good skills and, and things of that nature? So the idea of having tools in your toolkit to help your team connect, you know, if uh, on a one-to-one basis, I know a lot of times people don't like icebreakers, but in the end, the icebreakers sometimes are the things that help us get to know one another. So I think if we choose the kinds of connecting activities, especially in this virtual world to, you know, encourage people the time to connect as part of their daily work and to enhance or to have to have permission to encourage their strengths, I think. But the more we talk about them, the more we know them. And then when we get into that point of we've got a problem to solve, who could we turn to? You might go, well, the problem is that we've got so many ideas and not enough tactics. Who's the person on our team who's good at at that tactical thing. And, and so I think that really helps. I think taking it one step further, this is um, something I'll teach in courses. That I think the next step to being able to even see the strengths is to, I think we spend a lot of time focusing on what people need to do better and the feedback. And we all carving out time in the beginning to first appreciate the strength someone brought to the table. So, hey, you know, even if it's an idea that we don't love or we're not going to take to first appreciate, hey, I love that you're being innovative on this topic. I think that energy is wonderful. And what about this approach? It's, a, it's about really acknowledging some of the things people bring, I think goes a long way. I, I agree with that. And I think that I'm like losing my train of thought as I'm thinking it. I think that it's important to, you know, be honest in situations. And the one of the benefits of being a coworker as opposed to being a boss is that when you have those conversations, like it's almost like you can be a little bit more forthcoming maybe, or more casual in the information that you're providing. You know, it's like, that's a great idea. And I really like that. We're not going to be able to do it. And this is why, or you can like kind of commiserate about maybe the obstacles and make a person feel part of the team and make them feel heard but also, you know, sorry, <laughs> but like, you know, in a nice kind of way. Yeah. yeah, it gets a little more difficult when there's a power dynamic there, though. 
is maybe what I think I heard you say. Yeah. I always tell uh, clients when they're working through things like this, these are all great tools and trust your intuition. <laughs> if, it's, if it's not the right conversation, if you think you should pull back a bit, better safe and, and get a little bit of learning than maybe go a little bit too far. So Carrie, that's I think somewhere where you're talking about there too. Uh, mm -hmm. In the last, uh, there's one more place I want to get to before we wrap this. Talking a little bit, we all have, like these are great tools and great mechanisms and great conversations. And you know every team's got, for us, we don't, I, don't, I don't want to label them a difficult personality because they're not difficult, they're wonderful. Just in the way they relate to us, it can be difficult for us. And so what are some things you've maybe seen, experienced, maybe some tips and tricks around when maybe others are not open to maybe the approaches that we're bringing? They, they kind of don't want to get to where we're trying to move them to for the betterment. Any thoughts on this? Any best tips or tricks for the, for the listeners? I know that um, we've, we've worked with the individuals in the past where I feel like I did not get in early enough to really develop the relationship. You know, again, not being their supervisor, just feeling like, you know, everything's handled and, and they're doing fine, but I should have made more of an effort, I think. So I'm just talking about a learning experience here. So I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question, but I should have made more of an effort, I think, to get in there early and talk about how they feel it's going just as one colleague to another and kind of find out how they feel about it. And if they're building up walls around it, if they don't actually enjoy the job or an aspect of the job, or if there's something more going on, you know, it, it, you can get in there and have a conversation. And Molly was sharing, you know, the program that we run, we need all individuals on board there. So talking it through, what's, what don't you like about this? What's the hard part? What's the worst part? What's the best part? where do you need some help? How can we sit together and talk about it and work through it? You know, with wall building, <laughs> they build up walls. They can only come down slowly. You can't just hope that it's going to magically crumble. It, it just takes time and you have to use honesty and compassion and everything we've been talking about. And you have to earn their trust. You can't just walk over to their desk and say, I'm a nice person. You should like me. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. We all know it doesn't work like that. And that's something that I've learned is getting in there a little sooner. Not when my boss tells me to get in, you know, you should trust your intuition. Like what you were saying, Patrick, about when's the right time. Carrie. On the flip side of that, Elise, I think there's the idea too of if you're the one who feels like you misstepped or that you're the one out of connection. I, I, I maybe go back to the to Patrick's earlier comment about vulnerability and that idea of you're not going to be able to always leap right back in, but you've somehow got to dig deep and find the baby steps to go, wow, that last connection that I had with that person was did not make me feel good. But I need this partner to be able to keep moving forward. And so I've got to find at least a little bit here. And what are what are my options for that? And and Without being, I think you have to be really careful to not slip into the gossipy side or lean on your your core friends, but to be able to seek out people who they, maybe who you notice that other person does work fairly well with and ask for advice. Step Absolutely. into the conversation and say, I could really use some advice on working with this person. Yeah. Um, and, and that has gotten me a long way. <laughs> That's excellent advice. And of course, attempts were made, Right always trying to do better. And I feel like always when I would work with somebody, I think back to what you were saying, Patrick, is, is about pointing out the positives. What I see they're doing really well. You're good at this. 
right? So we would try to have those conversations. I'm, I'm just saying that sometimes you don't know why people put up walls and maybe the job is not the right fit, but, but of course one keeps trying. We don't just give up. I think another key part to this is uh, I think human beings sometimes, humans as a whole, think that people like to be spoken to the way we like to be spoken to, that, that someone else's way of being is ours. And I think a wonderful thing to ask of, uh, someone who's friends or they work well with them is, like, how does this person like to be approached? What's important to them? And then it's on me or it's on me to take the information I need or how I need to present to them and condense it and package it in a way that's accessible for me. And so I think often we just come at the way we'd like to be spoken to. And I think that that, it's another person with a whole set of likes and interests, and it's upon us to find out how to best work with that. Molly. I really like the, I like what you said, Carrie, about asking someone. I think that that is really good advice. And I, I think about how, you know, you can ask the person, like, how do you best, like, how do you like to communicate? And, you know, I don't know, what am I doing that's rubbing you the wrong way, you know, in a, in a nicer Mm -hmm. way, maybe, but you're not always going to get a answer. You're not going to get the truth from them because, you know, we all have our, Oh, I'm fine. Like this is all fine. And we don't want to, you know, ruffle feathers or cause problems. So if you do have the, a person that knows them better, it really will get you closer to the truth. That's really great advice. Yeah. Yeah, I think about it from the idea of, sorry about that, Patrick. Mm -hmm. I think about it from just on there, you know, Molly, the idea of going like, I love context. I need context in order to wrap my brain around something. Some people that I communicate with, they are bullet point detail people. Just give me the highlights. And, you know, either if you can't learn that yourself, you know, for me, the tactical thing is find a person who, you know, communicates well with them, send them your email and say, look, I'm trying to communicate this to this person, but I could really use your help in, could you just look this over? And the the day that they're like, oh, that is too much. Bring it down to the top five things and call it a day. And I was like, but all of this is so, nope. You can have a conversation when you open the door to get in the door, do it this way, that kind of thing. Like, as you said it, I was like, oh, I I can remember a moment where it feels like I can actually say this is a tactical thing that maybe you can take away and try. So I I just wanted to jump in. I agree. I do that all the time. I am like, this is what I'm trying to say. Is this what I am saying? (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) I think, um, Carrie, what I love about your point, Molly, you're hitting on this is this to me perfectly ties back to where we began, which is none of this has to be done alone, nor should it be done alone. There's always other people and resources. I think another great question when we're having somebody that it's difficult to communicate with, when we speak something out loud to them, to ask them, hey, what are you hearing me say? Like, I know what I'm saying, but what are you hearing me say? And it helps us understand what is getting through, what's not getting through, what they're not getting from how we're communicating. It can really help our communication style. Absolutely. No. Beautiful. Well, we are, we could talk about this all day. Well, I get, I could get three of you on this all day long. <laughs> but we are, we are out of time here. We have to wrap this up. Elise, Molly, and Carrie, thank you so much for your time and your thoughts today. It is wonderful to have all three of you. And to the listeners, thank you for listening. We hope you got something out of this and take care. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Prospecting, the APRA podcast. To discover all that APRA has to offer, visit aprahome.org. For links to content featured in this episode, check out the show notes. 
If you like the show and want to help others find us, please subscribe to and rate us on iTunes. Until next time.